The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This is the Busted Open Podcast. You can listen to the full show Monday through Saturday from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Welcome to the Busted Open Podcast. This is Dave LaGreca. On today's episode, WWE Hall of Famer Bully Ray and I have two awesome guests. One, just before, hours before, we have Final Battle 2020, Ring of Honor's biggest pay-per-view of the year. We have Kingdom member Matt Taven joins Bully and I. And also, just after AEW Dynamite, we have referee Aubrey Edwards. All that right now on the Busted Open Podcast. How are you, sir? I'm pretty good. I mean, it's it's good to be doing my like yearly check-in with Busted Open. Usually it's in studio. Uh, I, I'm assuming none of you guys have made it in the studio considering it's uh, snowing like cats and dogs out there in the Northeast. But, uh, you know, it, it's just not the same seeing your guys' smiling faces. Oh, aren't uh, you sweet? You know, I try. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, we been... can talk about how handsome my babies will be since you didn't really want to talk about Cody's. Well, don't you think Cody's a handsome man? I mean, they were trying to push that hard on everyone. I'm just going to say, yes, yes, he's a handsome man. Does that make you happy? <laughs> Not me, Dave, because Dave sweats Cody yeah, Dave, bad. Are you happy now? Oh, come we on. all agree. He, he hates Matt. In, in case you didn't know, Cody hates me for just the, the, the what craziest a reason. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm sure you know it's it's justified and and it's not. you know well deserved, right? No, it's not not at all. It's it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous, as a matter of fact. But anyway, right. enough about Cody. Go ahead, Bull. Seriously, how excited are you for Final Battle? Uh, and give me the vibe of the entire roster moving into Final Battle. Well, I think the entire roster has something to prove. You know, um, we're, we're not blind and deaf to the world. We know what the wrestling world situation is, and we know when we look around to the locker room how good the talent is in Ring of Honor. And we want to make sure that everyone sees exactly why this is the best wrestling on the planet and why, like, you know, guys like Jonathan Gresham, who have been absolutely tearing it up, need to to be out there showing the entire world exactly why he is uh, our pure champion and why he was making waves with that pure tournament. Um, But up and down the roster, there's so many good guys. And, you know, we know exactly what what we bring to the table. Uh, But we think a a marquee pay-per-view like Final Battle is the way for Ring of Honor to really kind of make a big splash right now um, and and get that name out there more and get the, the ball rolling forward. Uh, when it comes to me personally, I mean, it's been five years since me and Mike Bennett have teamed together. And it's one of those weird things where, you know, you, you kind of know in the back of your mind, this will happen again someday, like some somewhere down the road, we'll, we'll get back together. You know, it's like uh, the girl that got away type deal. 
And you never know when that, that time may be. I mean, I can't tell you how many times me and Mike have talked about whether it's here or there, like it, it happening again. And for it to finally happen five years after the last time we teamed together at Final Battle 2015, it seems, you know, almost too meant to be. It's, it's kind of weird in a way that, it, that it's happening uh, this way. And then also for it to be happening against uh, Vincent Abateman a year after what happened with my ankle at last year's Final Battle, it's um, for our first pay-per-view back, for our first, uh, you know, a live action pay-per-view being back. It, it really couldn't have wrote itself any better with, with me and Bennett being back together and then taking on The Righteous. You know, Matt, we had Mike Bennett on last week. And Bully even told me before he went on the air that, you know, listening to him on this show, you can tell, like, he's really enjoying his life right now inside and outside the ring. And he just has a smile. It's like... This is like a second chance. And I think most of all, he's happy about being back with you, especially on a big show. And, and it's got to be contagious being and working with somebody like Mike Bennett right now. I mean, I think we all go through times in wrestling where, um, you know, you love it more than, than other times. And it, it might be weird for me to say, like, after I won the world title, you feel so much pressure. Obviously, the wrestling world changed. You get blamed for everything that goes. Someone stubs their toe, and it's obviously Matt Taven's fault. But, like, you know, there was so much of that going on that I was putting so much pressure on myself. And, and I wanted it. Trust me, I, I will immediately take that pressure back on my shoulders any day of the week. Uh, but... I was going so hard, so hard that I ended up hurting my ankle. And then you have to deal with the ankle surgery and all that stuff. And you almost kind of forget about when wrestling is just fun. Like it's just mm -hmm. pure fun. It's like what you've wanted to do since you were a little kid, when you broke every piece of furniture in your parents' house, it was because you were just having fun. And uh, I can't tell you, you know, how much fun it is just to kind of like be back around uh, us doing our stupid jokes that no one understands that we were doing five years ago in the past, just kind of puts a smile on your face. And is like, Oh man, this is what, this is what wrestling was like, wasn't it? Like, this is, this is when we had just a good time. Um, granted we have to get in the ring with one of our old friends that kind of puts a sour note on the whole situation, but just being back in the locker room, seeing Mike again, we're on such different schedules that we would, kind of be all over the place and not, you know, we would see each other kind of high and by, but to actually, you know, sit down and be putting on your, your gear and looking across the, the locker room to, to Mike. And just, like I said, sharing old jokes, quoting old movie lines and just laughing to ourselves. Like we used to, it's, it's really a contagious feeling and it's um, it's making me excited for final battle. I feel like, you know, like bully does right now, ready for Christmas. <laughs> I feel like, a, like Christmas is coming early with final battle being tomorrow. You know, Matt, one of the biggest compliments that me and Dave get on the show is from wrestling fans who are like, hey, I've never checked out AEW or I never checked out New Japan or I never checked out Ring of Honor, but I hear you guys talking on the show and now we want to watch. So if somebody is listening right now, uh, wrestling fans from all over the world, whether they're catching us live right now on satellite radio or who are going to listen to the podcast, who have never seen seen ring of honor before why is final battle a must see for wrestling fans well i like to think of it you know i call myself the trend matt taven and i really like to think of ring of honor being the trend of wrestling where you know you saw a lot of the japanese wrestlers break into the states back in the day with ring of honor i mean AEW, let's be honest doesn't exist without without ring of honor and if you're a fan of any of that stuff and you see that stuff going out there and it's piquing your interest 
Well, then this is the pay-per-view to tune into. Like I said, Jonathan Gresham, Flip Gordon, Roosh, and PCO. I mean, not Roosh and, and Brody Lee. PCO and Mark Briscoe against Jonathan Gresham and, and Jay Lethal. Obviously, me and Bennett uh, against Vincent and Baseman. Just there alone. You know, Roosh is one of the biggest stars in Mexico. Jonathan Gresham, one of the best pure wrestlers there is. Me, just overall awesomeness. I mean, there's not really much that you're missing uh, on a Ring of Honor show from, from top to bottom. If there's anything you like in professional wrestling, you really see the birth of it kind of happen in Ring of Honor. And I think that that's a tradition that all of us in the locker room pride ourselves on. And we're looking to continue tomorrow night at Final Battle. You know, Matt, the last time we spoke to you, you mentioned that you come on every year. And the last time we spoke to you in studio was just before the championship match at a sold out Madison Square Garden. And now here we are just before final battle, the biggest show for ring of honor. And it's going to be in front of zero fans. Like (laughs) it's crazy when you think about it going from 20 to zero, but you know, how have you been able to adjust to get into the ring without any kind of fan response? Well, it's definitely different. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm sure, you know, you can just see from watching it um, that it's, it's a different atmosphere, but I think that that's where ring of honor kind of was, was smart with their approach, you know, going back to that pure style of wrestling and more of a pure athletic based competition, I think fits well for the lack of fans being there, you know, with, without that fan base and, and, you know, me personally, I look around and I love to either get cheered or booed. It kind of really drives me, but without that fan base there, it's really like a one-on-one or two-on-two competition between you and your opponent. And when Ring of Honor came back in the pure tournament and kind of the adjustment of the rules and getting back to basics, I think that that process and that structure really kind of fits well with this empty arena atmosphere um, because th- there's no other distractions. There's nothing else to focus on besides your opponent. And you really kind of see that come through with everyone um, in Ring of Honor. You know, the television product I'll put up against anyone else's. Since we've been back, I, I think the presentation with the sit-down interviews and the, the matches that go on in the ring um, are, are second to none and are perfect for this, this no-fan atmosphere. Um, and for me personally, I would love for the fans to be back. You know, I, I'm a guy that feeds off them. I'm a storyteller. I love kind of watching the investment happen over time. Um, but in the meantime, I, I think that Ring of Honor is on the right track with really kind of getting back to the bare bones of things and, and back to pure wrestling. How difficult has it been for the entire locker room to get in the middle of that ring and work the Ring of Honor style, which for 12 or 13 years has been a style that really feeds off of the fans? Like, I can understand how some other companies can go have these cold matches. Ring of Honor, much like the company that birthed it, ECW, the fans were so important to the in-ring product. Difficult for you, difficult for the boys, and, and and what kind of mindset did you have to put yourself in to get around it? Oh, uh, definitely difficult for me. I mean, my first match back after surgery was in front of no crowd, and I, I can even tell, like, I go up on the top rope and I look around like I normally do, and I'm like, what am I doing? There's no one here. What, what, get, get off the Stop doing that. Uh, but I think you bring up a great point, Bully, is the fact that, you know, Ring of Honor is kind of – the the aftermath of the of ECW right and I was trained by Spike Dudley and I I I knew of Spike Dudley through what I saw on on ECW 
And the first day I got to training, my mind was absolutely blown with the fact that Spike is not, you know, not a hardcore guy. And I don't mean that in any sort of negative connotation. Of course. I I just mean that when I saw the fact that he could do any kind of wrestling, get on the mat, put me in a pretzel, tell me like it, I I was astonished. It blew my mind. And I think that there's a lot of pride with the guys in the ring of honor locker room to show that, you know, the flip Gordons of the world, for example, who's challenging for the peer title. He wants to show he's not just a flippity do. I'm going to fly around the ring and stuff. I can get on the mat and wrestle like anyone else. And I think that that has really spread through the rest of the locker room to show like, we're, we we are more than what than what you might assume we are. I mean, we know what we are, but we are we are more than might uh, what people might think of us. And we're going to go out there and we're going to show you exactly that we can go down uh, to the mat and wrestle with the best of of anyone else in the world, and we can do every other style there is too. So, um, like you said, you know, there's definitely a sense of pride to show the uh, the amount of kind of. The, the amount of different talent that we have can all go in the ring and do this style right now. And I, I got to tell you, I, I very much agree with your answer because a couple of weeks ago, I caught some of the pure tournament. Now, a pure tournament is not in my wheelhouse, not something that I would really seriously. It's just not the kind of pro wrestling that I love, but I find myself lately being invested by things like uh, Lorkin and Thatcher and, and, and a style like this. And I got to see Tracy Williams versus Jay lethal. Now we all know how great Jay lethal is. We could talk about him for hours, yada, 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 but man, Tracy Williams style in that tournament, it, it fits your answer because it wasn't about, flying all over the place it was about wrestling in the middle of a, of the ring the spirit of the contest the spirit of the fight and hold for hold maneuver for maneuver and i was really impressed from what i saw with tracy and if that's what you're telling me that the entire company is trying to do more of so you don't have to feed off of that crowd and rely on all the flips and crazy stuff i would say it's working right now for you guys I mean, there's no doubt. And it's it's really kind of showing, you know, guys' skill set off that, like you said, maybe they people weren't aware of. I mean, obviously, Jonathan Gresham was amazing in the pure tournament, but Tracy Hot Sauce Williams, I mean, get to know him if you don't. Guys like Josh Woods, too, have been around for, for a long time, and you don't realize that these guys' amateur backgrounds are so strong that when it comes to a pure style, they're going to shine. And, you know, even guys like me who I, I'm not, you know, the – I don't know if I consider myself a pure wrestler. I'm, I'm even there like, oh, man, I got to step up my game. I'm like back in the, in the, our training school on the mat, rolling around, trying to relearn things. Um, and, and, and that kind of stuff, you know, I think really motivates and lights a fire under the rest of the roster. You know, Matt, final question for me, and thanks for the time. Really looking forward to watching final battle again on pay-per-view tomorrow night or fight TV final battle, 2020. You had the ultimate moment of, any pro wrestler could possibly have. Think about it. I mean, you're in the main event at a sold-out Madison Square Garden, and the final moment of that show is you winning that Ring of Honor world title. Like, talk about that moment, almost like now that you've had that moment, you know, what could you possibly do to top it? You know, it's almost like chasing a ghost. But describe that moment for – because it truly is. Bully, I think you would agree. That's about as big a moment that any pro wrestler – could possibly have 
Well, well, Dave, thank you for really piquing my anxiety with feeling like I might have hit the peak of my life uh, already, and you know that I'm, I'm going to constantly be chasing the dragon ever since. I'll, I'll think about that for the rest of the day. Thank you. No, I'm kidding. Uh, uh, honestly, you know, as a kid growing up in the Northeast uh, and being a wrestling fan since the time I could change the channel on the TV, I pretended I was winning the world title in Madison Square Garden every chance I could. You know, I, I can remember that ceiling in, in the wrestling memories that I have, like watching as a child. I remember like as soon as I saw that ceiling, getting the, the goosebumps like, oh, this is a big show. It's at Madison Square Garden. Um, and to to think that I, you know, won the world title there, it, it almost still seems like a dream uh, a lot of times um, just because it is such a big moment. Uh, I, but I think for someone like me who... <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like a, a constant chip on my shoulder. Like I still have to prove stuff to people. I, I think I will, I am chasing the dragon. You know what I mean? Like I am constantly chasing that moment of like, Oh, you think that was it? Wait until you see what I do next. And you know, with, with the things that shifted in wrestling at that same exact time, um, I, I put a lot of pride on myself of saying like, I, we all knew this was a downtime in ring of honor, but I'll take the torch and I, I, I will lead us, you know, through the storm. And th that sense of pride in me still kind of really motivates me to go forward. I mean, motivated me to come back from the injuries, motivated me to, to make sure our final battle, I come out and show the world once again, why I won the world title at Madison Square Garden. You know, why all these things uh, ha have happened in my career. I don't want to just rest on that one moment forever. Even though, you know, I'm sure when I'm all done, I'll, I'll probably have that picture framed as the biggest one of the memories. Well, maybe there'll be more, but uh, you know, bigger <laughs> ones, hopefully in the future. But uh, at the same time, I, I just constantly feel like, you know, yes, that happened. And yes, I will for oh, I'll forever be grateful for that moment. But uh, I'm not anywhere close to being done. And uh, I'm, I'm chasing to have that moment happen again. Matt Taven, of course, he's going to be with Mike Bennett. The trend, Matt Taven going up against the Righteous tomorrow night. Final battle. It's available on pay-per-view and Fight TV. Man, it's always a pleasure talking to you. Congratulations on everything and good luck tomorrow night. Thank you guys very much. Thank you for always having me. Enjoy the snow up there. And, uh, Bully, <laughs> we miss you, my man. Well, tell all the boys I said hello, and I'm sure you guys are going to knock them dead. Go get them. Great to see you, Matt, and I'm glad you're all healed up. Thanks, brother. Hi, this is Adam Shine. The Adam Shine Podcast is back for another football season. I'll give you my passionate, hard-hitting takes every week, including picks against the spread and fantasy football advice, all while talking to the biggest guests in all the sports, celebrities, media personalities, diehard football fans on a weekly basis. It's the Adam Shine Podcast with new episodes dropping on Tuesdays. You can listen to the podcast anytime with the SiriusXM app, iTunes, Pandora, and with Stitcher. Aubrey Edwards joins us here on a Thursday Hello. morning. Good morning, Aubrey. Good morning. It's good to Are you excited I mean, to be here? Dude, you have no idea how excited I am to be here. <laughs> dude! <laughs> First of all, I love the fact that we had Aubrey. Aubrey, you know, obviously, like a referee, an official always is very punctual. She was here on time, if not early. So she joined us while we're in the break. And, and we're talking about King of Queens and Kevin James. You'd think we would talk a little bit about AEW. But, Aubrey, those are the types of conversations that Bully and I have during break. So there you go. Oh. 
I, I have a podcast. So you should hear what Tony Schiavone and I talk about when we're on break. So, and there's a lot, there's a lot to get into, but since you brought it up, you are the host with Tony Schiavone, the unrestricted podcast. So talk about Tony Schiavone because, you know, we know Tony and Tony's like must listen like on AEW dynamite. I mean, his commentary, I mean, is laugh out loud. What's it like working with Tony? It's really great working with Tony. I mean, a lot of people say he's the voice of their childhood. When they got into wrestling, Tony Schiavone was, you know, commentating and whatnot. Uh, for me, it was really interesting because I didn't watch wrestling as a kid. So Tony, to me, has always just been a coworker. And over the course of working on the podcast with him for the last year, I've started to figure out like how important he is to wrestling culture and how important he is to people be who became wrestling fans as kids. Uh, day to day, we just make dick jokes. So, <laughs> ah, <laughs> okie dokie then. There you, and there you have it, Dave. Hey, well, Aubrey, hey, thank know, you for joining the show. <laughs> Happy holidays. No, no Tony Schiavone, that does not surprise me at all. Um, Aubrey, you said that, you know, you weren't a wrestling fan growing up. So, like, how did you get into the world of pro wrestling? Uh, it was WrestleMania 27. Uh, a bunch of my friends who watched wrestling as a kid found out that The Rock and Stone Cold were coming back. So we had a big WrestleMania party. And knowing nothing about the storylines, we set up like Super Bowl uh, box pools and just kind of made an event of it. And then following that was a lot of the CM Punk, uh, John Cena storyline. And we kind of watched a couple episodes of Raw following that. And I got hooked because as someone on the outside looking in, I just thought wrestling was silly. But once I'd watched a couple episodes, it became very clear that it's just another form of storytelling. And I've been a theater kid my entire life. So that was the part that really drew me in, watching performers tell a story with their bodies to a crowd in this completely new medium where the audience can participate and change the outcome of things. Like it's unheard of in any other stage performance. So for me, I was just immediately hooked and I got super into it. I was a big fan, never even planned to join the business. I happened to just have a friend ask me to try refing. Uh, turns out I liked it. And then three and a half years later, I'm talking to you guys. <laughs> Bully, good so, thing she didn't watch an episode of Raw in 2020 because she would be in another line of work. Oh, yeah. you'd Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Doing something else. Not this. So so a friend asked you to come referee. Uh, you knew you had liked what you have seen so far from the WrestleMania party and the Cena stuff and, and Punk. Did you ever want to be a wrestler? Were you athletically inclined or did you just know that you, you dug the referee stuff? Uh, I'm athletically inclined. I did classical ballet for about 21 years. So I was retiring and basically needed something new and the timing all worked out. I never had any aspirations to be a wrestler. I'm actually pretty injury prone. So I kind of had the idea that the moment I take a bump, I'm just going to fall apart and die. So I tried to sort of avoid that. <laughs> Do you know <laughs> how to bump? The... Say that again. Do you know how to bump? Could you take a bump yes. if you needed to? I could take a bump. There's some pretty awesome bumps of me on the indies that you can find on YouTube. So uh, okay. I, I took bumps. I did rolls. I at least learned how to stay safe in the ring, understand ring awareness, all of the basics, lockups, all that. But as far as like actually wrestling, that's never something that I pursued or really did at all. 
when I when I'm watching you referee some of your matches, and this is this is in indicative before COVID, it seems like the fan base is really into you as a referee. Sometimes you'll have a match going on, and the fans are chanting for Aubrey, Aubrey as opposed to chanting for any of the you know talents that are actually wrestling and performing. Do you look at that as a good thing or a bad thing? I mean, everyone in wrestling has a little bit of ego, so I do enjoy it. I'm not going to lie. From my role within the storytelling, it's kind of one of those things that I don't necessarily enjoy because I'm there to help the wrestlers tell a story. Like, it's not about me. That being said, Chris Jericho has done a lot for my career, and he does try to incorporate me uh, probably more than most refs. Uh, So I've been really fortunate in that regard, but... It's one of those things where when it happens, I'm just kind of sitting there like, oh, my God, please stop. Please stop. Pay attention to the wrestling. This match is really awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you said you were on the indie scene refereeing, and then I believe your first show was Double or Nothing for for AEW, correct? Correct. How do you, you know, talk about that transition from doing stuff on the indies and now you're in Vegas, sold out crowd. Like, what was that like for you? So a lot of it just had to be opportunity and timing. Uh, I was doing an indie show up in Canada at All-Star Wrestling in, I think it was December of 2018. So right before Mm -hmm. AEW had gotten announced. And Frankie Kazarian was randomly booked on the card. It was a charity show. I'm like, great, you know, I'm going to work with this guy. He's Ring of Honor Tag Team Champion. This is going to be awesome. And we're working in the match, you know, whatnot. We're having a good time. And he ends up going for a pin. The heel puts his foot on the rope. I actually miss it. And I call for the bell. They start playing the music and stuff. Realize I messed up. And I I restart the match, all this kind of stuff. And Frankie was apparently just really impressed with how I was able to immediately just adapt to the situation and make sure that we continued to tell the story that they had intended to tell. So afterwards, we talked a little bit, whatnot. About three weeks later, uh, he was booked for a show at ECCW, also up in Canada. And we worked together there. Another great time. He asked for all my information, sent it to the Bucks. And then uh, about a week later, I got the paperwork for Double or Nothing. So I had originally just, uh, excuse me, I just signed on for the one show and then came on for three shows. And then once Dynamite had started, I was full time. That's awesome. When you're refing matches in AEW, which ones do you find the most challenging? Oh, um, I mean, that 12-man tag last night was no joke. Uh, a lot of it is making sure with the multi-man stuff that just kind of staying out of the way and making sure that the guys are getting what they need. The guys are getting the time cues they need, but hanging back. Uh, I feel like, I mean, pay-per-view matches are always crazy just cause it's live. There's a lot more pressure to make sure things are happening. Title matches are, are insanely, uh, nerve wracking just in and of themselves. I think everything kind of has its own little like, oh, this is hard because of this. Um, I always kind of struggled with tag matches on the indies, but I think tags on the indies have a particular style that isn't normally seen on TV. So I am very appreciative of what AEW has done as far as building their tag team division, just because I feel like I've become a better referee working with tag teams like the Young Bucks and FTR and Proud and Powerful and Best Friends. When matches are being put together, whether it's singles matches, tag matches, are you involved in the entire process or are you a referee that likes to know the important stuff and the finish? 
A little bit of both. I tend to let all the guys figure out what it is they're going to do. And then once they start calling the whole thing from beginning to end, I'll come in and I'll listen to it so that I have a general idea of the, the framework that they're putting together. And I can ask questions for clarification of anything. But generally, I just want to know the big spots. I want to know if there's a particular falsy I need to sell. I need to know if there's distractions. Uh, I need to know what the finish is. What's the post-match setup? Is there any sort of promo situation? Do you want me to just roll out and stay small? Is there anything else you need from me? Uh, just to make sure that they have everything that they have from when they come through the tunnel to when they leave through the tunnel. And a lot of that is just making sure that I have the key elements because a lot of what I'm trying to do is make it feel like a shoot, right? Like the idea is that we want the audience to forget that we know how it's going to end. So ultimately I want a lot of my stuff to be very reactionary. So I try to only focus on the big stuff that's going to tell those big story moments and sort of kind of not focus on the rest of it. Though I have a general framework, I like to just make sure that the big stuff's focused on. You know, in, in an NFL game, a referee kind of has a feel for the game. So if, if, if the competitors are very tight, you know, he'll keep the flag in his pocket. And then, you know, there's other games where you see flags fly almost on every play. With AEW Dynamite, especially in some of their tag matches, is it almost like, all right, I know things are going to get out of hand. I know this is going to be a car crash. So I kind of let a lot things go than I would in a normal match. I think that's definitely something that we do, but I think that's also indicative of our history. Like a lot of the guys that are the bigger names here uh, built their names on the indies first and they have particular styles. So they had come in and kind of brought in like the Young Bucks, like they made tag team wrestling. So coming in wrestling like the Young Bucks was very important to them. And sure, there's a lot of adapting to the needs of television and whatnot, but yeah, I mean, a lot of it is we kind of have to take creative license a little bit. Yes, there are rules. Yes, we're enforcing them. But at the end of the day, we're telling a story. And if the audience leaves happy, then we did our job. So yes, there are rules. There are rules. Yes, you try to enforce them. When AEW first started, they, you know, they they were very specific about what the rules are of the matches and how, you know, tag teams are going to have 10 counts and how there's going to be credibility on the referees. One of the things that we're critical of on the show is it seems like the credibility of the referee isn't there and the referees spend a lot of time doing things that they shouldn't be doing i.e if two competitors are on the floor the referee is on the floor with them entirely too long as opposed to doing the referee's job which is counting in the ring where do you think is that fine line of sticking to the rules and the creative license personally i feel a lot of it is just feel in the moment like for your example, for instance, if somebody's coming on the outside and they're talking, like it could be a production cue, it could be a guy who just took a bump and we're just ensuring that everything's gonna be fine from an injury perspective, that he can continue. So it's one of those things you're not necessarily sure what the full story is. And I know I'm trying to get back to the structure of the match as quickly as possible, but ultimately safety of the competitors is number one, and then making sure we're telling the right story is number two. Backstage, who do you find yourself, uh, what veteran do you find yourself speaking with and getting advice from the most? Uh, from a performer standpoint, Chris Jericho is definitely up there. Um, he's taught me a lot just about television uh, wrestling in and of itself. I had no television experience before joining AEW, so it was kind of a whirlwind and being able to talk to him and whatnot and figure things out on the fly in the moment when he needs information has been really, really valuable. 
On top of that, Jerry Lynn backstage has been great, uh, especially communicating things like tag team psychology and just knowing kind of what to expect in a match that's structured in a traditional tag team way. Dean Malenko has been really great, um, making sure that a match structure makes sense, that the referee's in the right spot, all of these various different things. So all of our coaches have been fantastic and they're very, very involved from you know the moment the match starts getting planned to the moment that the match is done and the guys are coming back. So, but I think Jerry Lynn and Dean Malenko have been really, really instrumental in a lot of my growth. Now, Aubrey, I know that you're a big part of the virtual launch of AEW Games, and everyone knows the hulking of the ref shirt, and you're going to be auctioning off that shirt for BenefitsCode.org. So talk about that nonprofit organization uh, to benefit computer science. Talk about that and your involvement with it. Yes, we actually just launched uh, the auction about less than an hour ago, so I'm a little like, wow, right now. (laughs) Very, very excited about it. Um, So we had done the AEW games presentation. I ripped off this shirt in overly dramatic fashion. And instead of just throwing it away, I wanted to auction it off. So I talked to our PR team. I talked to the games PR team just to try and figure out, is this something that we could potentially do? And one of the things that I wanted to do, because I am a woman in computer science, uh, I wanted to do something to help other women in computer science. So my thought was let's support code.org because code.org is an organization that I've been supporting for years. And it's great because they don't really have any sort of penetration in wrestling. And since our audience tends to skew a little younger, it's been really great for them because they're getting their name out to a whole new group of people. So we chose code.org because of the association with computer science and computer science association with gaming. It just all kind of made sense. So I'm really excited about it. I hope it's really successful. I hope somebody gets an awesome Christmas present. I hope we make a lot of money and I hope a lot of kids learn cool stuff as a result. Before this whole pandemic started, you guys were about to go into Jersey. I know Dave was real excited to be there. I mean, you guys were anticipating an upwards of 10,000 fans being at the arena that night. What do you anticipate for AEW once uh, things from the pandemic are lifted and a full house of fans is allowed back in? I think it's going to be probably bigger than any of the biggest shows we've had just from kind of the feel standpoint. I mean, all of us are looking for entertainment. Like we're all stuck at home. We're looking for something that's kind of that escapism aspect. So live sports has been really huge. Live wrestling has been huge. And I think the bigger the crowd, the more the crowd is into the match. Like chants pick up faster. People are more uh, interactive with the match. Uh, The wrestlers feel it. They're getting pumped up. It's just kind of one of those cohesive uh, symbiotic relationships where everything just feels better. Um, I know I'm personally super, super excited about it. I think we've had crowds of about 15% following the CDC guidelines, everything social distance. Uh, it's been really great having some fans back, but I think it's not going to compare to what it is that we're going to have. And then eventually when we end up doing a show in North Carolina, I think the fans are going to go crazy after Kenny's new entrance. So. <laughs> yeah. And I can't wait for you to be in Jersey. As you said, it's up right now. So I want everyone to go to donate.co.org slash AEW. Once again, donate.co.org slash AEW. It's going to be up there until Saturday, December 19th at 11.59 p.m. I'm going up there right now. I'm going to make a bid. I hope everyone that's listening goes on there and makes a bid. I'm going on there right now. Oh, my God. Oh, hell yeah. (laughs) Before I find out what the... 
the bid is at right yeah, now. Yeah, don't get too excited, Aubrey. No, no, I'm bidding right don't now. Don't get I'm too doing, excited. I'm, Trust I'm, me. I'm donating Trust right me. now. No, he said he, said he was going to buy windshield wiper blades with the last guy. So, I mean, he's on the track right I don't now. do. I'm, I'm you want some wiper blades? We can get them for you. Dave, I'm get Aubrey some wiper blades. I'm donating $100 right now. So, I hope I'm oh doing God. it. I just did it. I clicked on it right now. So, there's no going back. So, I want everyone to do the same that is following and listening to my voice. So, I hope everyone does that. Again, it's uh, donate.org. Uh, donate.code.org slash AEW. Aubrey, thank you so much for the time. We truly appreciate it. Thank you so much, guys. This is great. And thank you for the donation. Like, I'm seriously trying not to cry right now. Happy holidays, guys. Thanks for listening. Catch us Monday through Saturday on Busted Open from 9 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM. Fight Nation, Channel 156. The Busted Open Podcast. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.